In my study at home, where I do most of my sermon writing, my desk sits right next to a window. So when I look up from my computer screen, I often turn and look out the window. I often gaze onto a street that's really quiet. Not much happens along our street on most days. But lately, lately the activity on our street and out my window has become much more active. The historic apartment building that's across the street from our house, the Lord Fairfax, is getting a major overhaul. There have been no residents in the building for the last number of months, and the building really sat very quiet along with the street. But then lately, the street and the building are teeming with activity. It appears that the Lord Fairfax is getting some new plumbing and new heating. It appears that much of the old is being torn out. In fact, they've set a trailer-sized dumpster right on the street, and it's filling up really fast. The outside has a new trim and new colors of paint. The inside, the inside is getting redeemed, renewed, refreshed. I've been watching this for a few weeks, and then I thought about the analogy of this building with our lives. Week after week, Sunday after Sunday, we come into this sacred space and we worship God and we rehearse the story of God with our story and we open our hearts to God's Spirit and we listen to the Scriptures and we affirm our faith and we seek to become the loving, faithful people of God, serving in this city, building community, living with faith and focus as God's people. And while we know we journey with God, and while we seek to trust God, and while we seek to live with hope, I suspect that most of us, most of us probably don't feel significant redemption and renewal. We do not ever experience, at least often enough, the kind of renewal and refreshment and redemption that that building is getting. Wouldn't it be great to have a big dumpster to deposit <laughs> deposit the junk of our lives that is worn out? Wouldn't it be nice to have a season when we can get rid of the stains that are on our hearts, the worn out places in our lives? Wouldn't it be great to have a makeover like that? And since we assume it's not really possible... Well, I think it's easy to just muddle along. We just muddle along. We sing the hymns of our faith, but we tend to stay stuck in the heartaches of our lives. We say the creeds and we confess our sins, and then we wonder, we wonder, is God really present? Especially in the tossing and the turning at night? Is God really present, we wonder? in the struggles that keeps, keep coming our way. We strive to live by faith. We strive to serve God, but it can get worrisome, especially as we learn about gun violence and terror once again, especially as we think about people seeking a better life and 
dying on the journey or drowning on the journey, it can get wearisome as the challenges keep coming, the circumstances keep being so difficult. Yesterday, many of us gathered to give thanks to God for the life of Dr. James Luther Mays. Dr. Mays, along with his wife of more than 70 years, Mary Will, were part of this congregation. They sat right there in the back. Dr. Mays was my professor at the seminary. He taught Old Testament for 35 years at Union. And he shaped the lives of lots and lots of people who seek to be effective pastors. Jim Mays wrote many books. He wrote a major commentary on the book of Psalms. It seemed appropriate on this day, in this season of life, to preach on the Psalms in memory of Dr. Mays. You've heard this first psalm already. It came from Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is a, an amazing psalm of faithfulness. Maybe so much faithfulness that we wonder if those words could actually ever be our words. Did you think that when you heard it? Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. Psalm 40 says, God drew me up from the desolate pit. God pulled me out of the miry bog. God set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. Psalm 40 says, God put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to my God. Happy are those who trust in God. Psalm 40 says, you have multiplied, O God, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. Most of the psalm is one of this deep and abiding faith, this rich praise, this profound rejoicing in God's goodness. Most of Psalm 40 sounds like faith from a person who has been redeemed, renewed, refreshed from the inside out. Indeed, Psalm 40 has so much deep faith and praise that these words become foreign to us. Annie Lamott has written uh, one of her recent books saying that there are really only two prayers that we pray, thank you and help me. We say thank you to God when we gather around the table with our loved ones. We say thank you to God when the day begins, perhaps. And we certainly say help God. Help God when the news comes from Paris and we have another terror strike and it seems so crazy and it's so frightening. Help God when I just got the news from the doctor that my life is now not going to be the same as it was and I got to adjust, adjust once again. Help God because my situation seems to just stay the same. Help God. Because life is dark and depressing and I'm full of despair, barely getting out of the bed again. We know about help, God. And if it's not thank you and help, well, we might just about forget about God. Does God even come to mind? We live with little thought of God if it's not thank you or help. We wonder if God is really present in the world and in our lives. We wonder, where is God in the world today? Or we ask, why 
Why would God allow this? Or we ponder, when? When is God going to show up? Is God really present and active in our lives and in the world? We want to know. And when we wonder like that, well, we're getting a long way from Psalm 40 where God is very much at the center of life, the center of everything. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. I have spoken your faithfulness and your generation. That's the echo in Psalm 40. Is there hope for redemption in our lives? Is there a way to find renewal and fresh perspective for us? Could these words of Psalm 40 ever become our words? I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear to me. He heard my cry. Could we possibly speak these words? He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog. What's your desolate pit today? We could name many things. What's your miry bog? I bet I could tell you some of them. Nagging issue that seems to not change. Horror in Paris. Financial concern. Cancerous growth. The mess of the world, the city, whatever. Here's the really important question. The important question. How do we get to that kind of faithfulness that Psalm 40 seems so full of? How can we speak and think like that? How do we find that sense of deep redemption, that renewal, that wholeness and hope, we long for it. Our second lesson today comes from Psalm 70. Psalm 70 is basically a repetition of the last portion of Psalm 40. Listen and see if you think you've heard these words today already. Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who, hurt, who desire to hurt me. Let those who say, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. This is the word of the Lord. In one of the major commentaries on the Psalms, when you look for Psalm 70 in that big commentary, there's simply one little verse, and it says, see verse 40, see chapter 40, see Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17. That's all it says. In that commentary, there's no comment for Psalm 70 because it's so much like the last part of Psalm 40. Well, in his commentary on Psalm 70... Jim Mays says Psalm 70 is an individual prayer for help. It is composed almost entirely of petitions. It begins with vocatives and imperatives, calls and requests for God's help. And this Psalm 70, Mays confirms, with only slight variations in the text, is the same as the concluding words of Psalm 40. Both Psalm 40 and Psalm 70 include these words, I am poor and needy, O God. Hasten to me. You are my help and my deliverer. 
This is also what Jim Mays says. Faith and trust in God are not merely warm feelings or a passing impulse that emerges in a time of trouble. Faith and trust in God is a structure of acts and experiences that open one's consciousness to the Lord as the supreme reality of life. In other words, when we trust God and seek to nurture that trust through regular prayer and reading of Scripture and through sincere conversations in community, through living and serving as faithful people, we know ourselves to belong to God. The activities of our lives and the way we live life give us a consciousness, an openness that God is the supreme reality of life. When we live by faith, deep and abiding faith, and keep working on that, then we know that God is the one who is with us, and God is the one who will deliver us. Because we belong to God, everything else that we experience, everything else that comes our way, everything else that happens in the world is seen and is dealt with in that perspective. God is supreme. We trust God. Real faith, sincere trust, keep our minds and our hearts on God no matter what happens. So abiding faith, genuine trust, bring confidence and hope in the face of death and whatever else might come our way. Friends, this is the way we seek to live as faithful people. This is how we're called to live as faithful people. This is what we seek to nurture as disciples and encourage in one another as we follow Jesus. Our eyes, our hearts, our sense of identity, our hope remain rooted in the presence and in the promises of love and grace of God. Faith changes everything. Changes everything. Contemporary writer and theologian Rob Bell speaks about this in his book. His book is entitled, What We Talk About When We Talk About God. Bell says, there is a peace we find in Christ. There is. There's a peace we find in Christ, but it is not a peace from tragedy, not a peace from illness, not a peace from bankruptcy or divorce or depression or heartache. It is a peace, and I'm quoting Bell, rooted in the trust that the life Jesus gives us is deeper and wider and stronger and more enduring than whatever our current circumstances are because all we see is not all there is and the last word about us and about our struggle has not been spoken. Bell reminds us that God is in the best and God is also in the worst. God is in the presence and God is in the absence. God is in the power and in the powerlessness. God is in the tears and the questions and the despair and the blood and the lament. God is sitting there in the ashes when we shake our fist in the sky and declare there is no God, the last word about us and about our struggles has not been spoken. To restate our friend and professor Jim Mays, faith is a structure of acts and experiences that open one's consciousness to the Lord as the supreme reality of life. 
so important. So important. Here's another way to think about it. Some of you know the name Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is a tremendous athlete. He's been the best golfer in the world in 2015. He's 22 years old. He won two major championships, and he sort of won what's considered the Super Bowl of golf, the FedEx Championship this year. Oh, he did all that. He's even a good Presbyterian. If you've watched Jordan Spieth play, you've seen him putt. As you might guess, he's pretty good at putting. Sometimes when he puts the ball, though, he doesn't look at the ball. He doesn't look at the green. He doesn't look at where the ball is supposed to go, the path. He looks at the hole. He gets himself so lined up and so ready that he doesn't need to look at anything else except for the hole which is where the ball is going. I think this is something, something like what the psalmist is trying to teach us. There are many things that we look at. There are many things that we feel like we have to look at. We feel drawn to look at. But we're to keep looking at God. Our eyes and hearts gravitate to all kinds of things around us. They, the things that overwhelm us, the things that perplex us, the things that beat us down. Yet we do best when we look at God, the supreme reality of life. The faithful affirmations of Psalm 40 that Steve read, God heard my cry, God set my feet on the rock, God put a new song in my mouth, God's deeds are too many to count, all of that, all of that, and the deep cries, the desperate appeals for God's help that are in Psalm 70 and also in Psalm 40, they go together. They go together They're often side by side in our hearts, in fact. Faith and longing for God. Confidence and crying out for God. Fear and affirmation, they go together. Indeed, the way to deep faith, abiding trust, may be, may be through the desperation. We keep our eyes on God. We recite God's presence and promises. We worship and serve and we say, hasten to me, O God. You're my help and my deliverer. It's both, always, together. Our focus on God. A structure of acts and experiences when God is the supreme reality. Perhaps you remember the story of 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. 52 years ago, September 1963, a bomb went off in that church and four little girls were killed. One commentator writing in Time Magazine says that that act was one of the great turning points of the 20th century American history. 
One of the great turning points, Martin Luther King Jr. came to preach at the funeral for those four lovely girls. And this is what King said in that funeral. God still has a way of wringing good out of evil, and history has proven over and over again that unmerited suffering is redemptive. The innocent blood, King continues, of these, in, of these little girls may well serve as a redemptive force that will bring new light to this dark city. We're still working on that. We got a long way to go on that. We learned that too well this week. But King's words proved to be powerful and prophetic. King knew about God's love that will not ever let us go. King knew about the promise. We belong to God. God is the supreme reality. Nothing can separate us from God's love. King knew what the psalmist knew. We have a redeemer who does not save us from suffering, but promises to save us through the suffering. Even the Welchman who built the window, the stained glass window at the 16th Street Baptist Church that came as a gift to that church knew this too. Because when the bomb exploded in that church and killed those little girls, it also blew out the stained glass window and blew out the face of Jesus in that stained glass window. Well, that man from Wales who originally built that window through many donations uh, replaced the window. And today, the window in that church has a black Jesus with arms extended, outstretched to a future beyond bombs and brutality. This is really important. Life can be so very hard. Full of heartache and pain and suffering. But this is really important. God can be trusted. Our calls, our cries to God don't fall on deaf ears. They don't. Our calls, our cries to God are part of a sincere life and a sincere journey of faith. It's often amidst the desperate the terrible moments of life that we see the wonderful love and light and promises, the redemptive ways of God. We cry out, as for me, poor and needy, hasten to me, O God. It's appropriate for this day. But the Lord takes thought of us. The Lord never leaves us. We see this over and over. We see it most clearly in the suffering and death and resurrection and life of Christ our Lord. The Lord never leaves us. The Lord listens. The Lord is there. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O oh God, help our unbelief. By your Spirit, mold us. Shape us in the ways of faith and hope and love following Jesus. Amen.